As usual, we'll have our response time following the preaching this morning, and we'll use these questions as they are presented here on the uh, screen as a guide to our response time, uh, not necessarily uh, only with these questions, but always uh, keeping in mind that our response is intended always to be a glory to the Lord and a blessing to His people, and that our responses are intended uh, to accomplish such. And so here are the questions. Hopefully you'll hear uh, some, some kind of answer through the, the preaching. And uh, again, as always, uh, you're welcome to make up something on your own. It's uh, uh, just, uh, just as it uh, should be. Uh, there was dissension in the church. Imagine that. Quarreling among God's people. Quarreling among church people. Disagreements. Arguments, disapproval, judgmentalism, factions, cliques, coalitions in the church. God had sent the Apostle Paul to Corinth to plant that church. The city of Corinth was a rough place located on the isthmus between the Peloponnesian Peninsula and the Greek mainland, less than five miles wide. This little neck of land made it possible that if you were making a shipment, whether freight or passengers, whatever, ship coming from Asia Minor going to Italy or coming from Italy going to Asia Minor, you could offload at one end, one side of the isthmus, Less than five miles later, you transship over land, reload on the other side, and you cut days and days off of your, your sailing time for a good thing for, for a number of reasons. And so it is that Corinth, on this little neck of land, is a seaport. And what does seaport mean? Sailors. Sailors, longshoremen, these are the guys that offload the ships, load the ships, work the docks. Merchants, traders, bankers, all the people that you'd expect to find in a major port. And it was among these that God sent Paul to plant a church. Some might wonder, at the wisdom of such a mission to declare peace between holy God and sinful man. The gospel, the gospel that Paul was to proclaim there in Corinth. The word that it was this man, Jesus, nailed to a cross, crucified like hundreds of others, yet that man, Jesus, had been declared to be the Son of God. Can you believe it? Is it credible that the Son of God would be so treated? 
But what may be just as incredible for those who do believe, for those who have that belief, God has eliminated his judgment against their sin and has attributed to them a holy standing before him, before God, and to live eternally. Hard to believe, but I believe it. Paul had heard about the problems. Paul had planted the church. Church was established. Sometime later, Paul gets word. He hears about all this dissension, all these problems that are going on in the church in Corinth. And he writes them a letter. He writes them a letter to give them some, some guidance, some instruction. And as it stands, it's, it's beneficial, I think, certainly to us today, certainly beneficial has been throughout the ages that we have this book in the Bible known as 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul begins to address problems among God's people. I want to begin reading in chapter 1, verse 18, and you understand you got to start somewhere. I mean, it, it may be the best thing would just be to stand here and read the old book. That might well be, but uh, that's not our <coughs> tradition. And so we begin in chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast 
in the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. And so it is that we're given to understand that the gospel, the word of the cross, makes no sense, is foolishness, and has no effect to the unbeliever. You tell somebody that 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to be crucified, that he died, nailed to a cross, and that he, put, he was put in a tomb, and three days later, he arose, miraculously, fully alive. Later, he ascended into heaven, promising that he would return and gather his people to take them with him to his heavenly home. All this done that people's sins could be forgiven and they could live eternally with God. If they believe, if you tell them these things, if they believe, they will be moved and they will cry out, what must I do? If they do not believe, nothing. They may be nice about it. They may say, that's okay if that's what you believe, but it's not for me. Foolishness. God doesn't accomplish his purpose according to that which the world would consider wise. Conclusive evidence, consistent with prior knowledge, is not God's standard, is not God's way. No one ever figures this out on their own. No one seeks God. No one is smart enough, no one is wise enough, no one has a, a, an educated, or is educated enough in order to discern God's will on their own, of their own power, of their own mind. No scientist, no philosopher, no professor, no sorcerer, no theologian, no preacher ever attained God's salvation by their own will or by their own wisdom or in their own way. The scripture tells us certainly a quote in Romans chapter 3, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Emphatic enough, no king, no president, no politician of any stripe, no business tycoon, no genius, no great philanthropist, no, not one has ever been good enough to cancel the debt of his own sin, much less the sin of others.
This is an absolute truth from God's Word. No one saves themselves. No one can save themselves. No one ever has, nor will they ever place God in their debt. Our passage speaks of Jews and Greeks, Gentiles. And certainly from the perspective of the New Testament, that means everybody. Only two possibilities. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. So when we speak of Jews and Gentiles, it's all in company. They represent all of humanity. And it speaks of the Jews that seek signs, miracles. And as the scripture is full of miracles, certainly miracles have a place in God's plan. Miracles are signs. If you attend the Thursday night men's Bible study, ladies, you would know, <laughs> you, you would know that certainly signs Signs are an important part of God's revelation of himself. Signs do a, their job in pointing, pointing the way, pointing to something that God intends for us to see. But as signs do their job of pointing the way, you still have to believe what the sign says. Why did I immediately think of the wet paint sign? I mean, yeah, you still got to believe it. If you don't believe the wet paint sign, yeah, you wind up with a, a red finger and a fingerprint in the, uh, in the painted surface. So signs are valuable for pointing out, giving us information, directing us. But you still have to believe the sign. Wisdom is good. The Greeks seek wisdom. But wisdom is only good when it's applied to the end of truth. Wisdom after truth. And here I think of, of, one, of one of the most popular uh, movie themes, uh, movie uh, stories, right? Is the thief. The thief who is really, really wise. The thief who, who can, can figure out how to, to steal that big diamond that has all kind of radar antennas around it and laser beams and, and wild dogs and, and eight-foot-tall uh, guards stationed every two inches. Well, maybe further apart than two inches. But all around, and, and he's... And he's wise enough, right, to steal the diamond. Wisdom is good when wisdom is seeking after truth. When wisdom is in accordance with truth. Wis miracles and the wisdom of man won't get you there. The signs and the wisdom will not bring you into the right relationship with God.
It is to those who are called. It is to those who are called by God, called to His will, called to His word, called to His wisdom. And what is that calling? What is what was the call of all of the prophets of the Old Testament? What was the call of John the Baptist who came to prepare the way for the coming of Christ? What was the call of Jesus as he, as he came into Galilee beginning to proclaim the good news? What was the call of the New Testament writers, of Peter, John? Paul, what is the call that Jesus proclaims to the churches in Asia Minor in the book of Revelation? What is the call? Repent. God's call is to repent. And it is those who repent, those who hear God's call, those who receive God's word, God, those who, who hear God's wisdom and turn away from that self-will, from that self-actualization, from that self-centeredness. Uh, self it is they who hear the call of God to repent, turning from self, turning from sin, turning to God. It is they who received the power of God. The power of God unto His salvation through Jesus Christ, His Son. It is they who believe the wisdom of God. Whether Jew or Gentile, it's only one answer. Only one way. Only one truth. Only one true wisdom, and that is Christ. And why is it that not many of their own wisdom find the way? And please hear God's word, uh, not many. It's, it's the same answer as uh, uh, when Jesus said, uh, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. And when his disciples ask him about that, Jesus says, hey, anything is possible for God. So it's the same I hear, not many. Doesn't mean if you fall into one of these categories that you have no hope of being saved, but rather it means that it, 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 not many will be called why is it that, that not many of their own wisdom will find the way? We need not explore quantum mechanics nor delve into profound philosophy nor seek the most successful investment strategies. The answer lies in what the Bible has set before us as the source of worldly standards. God created man, and when he created man, he gave him a wife and a beautiful garden in which to live and in which to commune with his creator. And they were given God's wisdom, 
Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is God's wisdom. He gave them everything before their eyes. And he gave them the opportunity to be obedient to him. But then enter the origin of worldly standards. Genesis 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some, some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And so began the wisdom of man. So began the wisdom of man in disobedience to his God, his creator. Rebellion against the authority and elevating his own wisdom. Elevating the wisdom of man over the wisdom of God. And this is known in that three-letter word, sin. Not many. Not many will be called into God's wisdom. Bring it close to home. Let's look around this morning. Let's consider believers. We live in a, a world of many great men. We also live in an age when there are likewise many great women getting greater every day. But as we look around us this morning, we have to admit that there are none of those present. Well, except maybe, uh, well, no. I mean no offense, but here we are in a little podunk town, attending a little podunk church, led by three podunk elders. Except, yeah, okay. <clears throat> According to worldly standards, not much to see. No big-name politicians. No little-name politicians. No great geniuses. No millionaires. Not yet, can it, Kelly? No, okay, okay. No millionaires. Want to be accurate here. No big name preachers. Not many of noble birth. But we are chosen by God for that very reason. In Christ, we are the evidence of God's heavenly eternal, divine grace, his wisdom, and calling not many, those not of noble birth, those who have not great wisdom, 
those who have no real greatness in demonstration of his greatness. And so it was that the beloved disciple of Jesus encourages us in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. God's wisdom. None of this is going to last. Nothing of this world is going to last. It will all pass away. Even as God, by His Word, created all things, it will take but a word, and it will all be dissolved. God chose to establish that which is eternal by His Son. Lo, despised in the world, condemned by a council of the wisest priests and theologians of that day, consigned to a cross by a politician who couldn't even figure out what truth is, nailed on that cross by soldiers of the most powerful army of the day, ridiculed, mocked, and spit on by a people acting according to the standards of the world. And yet, all of this was done according to the will of God the Father. This same Jesus arose on the third day according to the will of the Father, walked among men for 40 days, ascended into heaven, from whence it was proclaimed, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Therefore, the Apostle Paul was inspired to write, Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. If anybody has anything to boast about, what could be better than that? Your sin taken upon Christ. His righteousness, that is, his holiness, his innocence, his freedom from sin becomes your claim. Growing ever more like him, ever more in step with his Holy Spirit, growing more in His love. Confident 
in the assurance of a right standing with the Lord our God, to live with him, him in his glorious presence for eternity. And so the Apostle Paul's advice to the church in Corinth with so much strife, so many who wanted to better than others. He told them, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so our boast shall be, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. What do you have to brag about? We live in a world where Pride grows from many quarters. Even among the most destitute, there are those who will take pride in the most menial things that they believe elevates them among others. We, of course, of a higher station, we have many things in which we might take pride many accomplishments in which we might boast. But what do you have to brag about? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your call in our lives that we, O God, by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, might overcome sin and that we might turn to you in your wisdom, O God, that we would know our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that in him, O God, we would find the power of salvation for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.